What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast along with Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. This Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECsports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on ATECsports.com. ATEC, win every practice. We are in the press box at TD Ameritrade Park. Snuck into a radio booth. Couldn't figure out our headsets. Recording on the uh, MacBook Pro. Hope everybody appreciates uh, the time, we're going to take a quick uh, 30 minutes here and break down the College World Series. Uh, the first four games, anyway, of the College World Series. Aaron, pretty exciting atmosphere already to be here. Uh, watched a little bit of practice. The reaction to Stony Brook has been incredible in the ballpark in its second year. Uh, just looks tremendous. It's not the shining ballpark on a hill, but TD Ameritrade still a pretty special place to be. Yeah, it's a great place to be, and, uh, you know, it. I think we're all going to get used to this thing fast. You know, I think already, uh, I think we've turned the page. And, That's uh, it. This, this, uh, this is a great venue. Then you can tell the players are excited, the coaches are excited. And, John, how excited? You talked to those Stony Brook guys. How jacked were they to be here? They're Pete Carroll-level pumped and jacked. Those guys are so stoked to be here. And the reception they've already gotten is tremendous. And, uh, you know, they're in line. Uh, they're, they're walking in. There's a giant line of, of fans waiting for Stony Brook autographs. And the Stony Brook players are walking up the concourse. And the Stony Brook chant just started. Stony Brook. I mean, people are doing the little crazy wolf sign they do. I mean, uh, Wolfie, their uh, mascot, was in, large and in charge. And uh, good stuff. I mean, I think just everyone's excited to have those guys here. And that's the first game. Let's just dive right into the games here. And Stony Brook and UCLA is the first game. 4 o'clock Central Time, so 5 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Laguna Time. But uh, Stony Brook, UCLA, I mean, Aaron, Stony Brook's no fluke. They deserve to be here. Seven players drafted. They go through Miami and through uh, basically a three-game series with Central Florida. Then a three-game, obviously, Super Regional with LSU at the box. Win it. What are their chances against UCLA when you're talking about a, a team that's playing as well as UCLA is playing as in all phases like UCLA is playing? Can Adam Plutko, is Adam Plutko the pitcher to finally kind of shut down this, this Stony Brook offense that's really kind of been on a roll for three, four weeks? They have been on a roll. And, you know, I was talking about this on, on uh, local radio today, uh, 1620 of the Zone, our friends over there. And, uh, you know, they, they brought up the point that does Stony Brook have the pitching depth to make a run if it falls into the loser's bracket? And my answer was I don't know that they do, but I don't know if they need it. And look right. what they did in regionals. They, they ran through the pitcher's bracket by scoring 10 runs, uh, the loser's bracket, by scoring 10 runs per game, um, you know, in five straight games. I mean, this team is really offensive. But I'll tell you, I think – Adam Plutko is a tough matchup. I think 
This park is perfectly designed for Plutko. He's a fly ball pitcher. Fly balls tend not to leave this yard. You know, I think it's uh, the, the stat that Steve Pivovar gave me was that uh, one every 138 at-bats results in a home run over the first two years counting Creighton games. Wow. So, you know, that's just not how you're going to win in this park. And so I think I think it, I think Plutko could come out here and really uh, really th- thrive. But I'll tell you that said, I mean Stony Brook isn't a home run hitting team. You know they're going to try to hit line drives and ground balls and work counts. They're very good at working counts. But Plutko pounds the strike zone. He's a strike thrower, um, and I think he's been pitching very well. I mean I was so impressed with him in regionals. Uh, he pitched very well again in super regionals, um, and I think UCLA's offense like Stony Brooks, has been playing at a high level. They're executing well. They're playing great defense. I think you've got to give the Bruins the edge here. It feels like this bracket is so athletic. Yes. That's the defining characteristic of this bracket. Um, besides the fact that there are two Pac-12 teams here, and you have Stony Brook and Florida State. But the athleticism stands out. Stony Brook is an athletic team. You've written all year about the athleticism they have in the outfield. They have that great scouting report where, like, you know, fly balls. So, you know, there's some, this is true in some ways in the other bracket, too, but I think especially here. UCLA's outfield has speed. Their infield defense has been very consistent. It feels like very sound. When you have a guy like a Trevor Brown where you have an injury at second base and you can slide him over there, you can put him behind the plate, you can do different things. It feels like whatever uh, players they plug in, UCLA and Stony Brook, uh, the defense, it sounds like, feels like uh, yeah, this is a matchup where one team's uh, going to have to uh, – the team that makes a mistake is going to be the team that falls by the wayside defensively, I think is what I'm saying. Right, and I like the fact that UCLA has three very athletic outfielders, j- experienced juniors who cover a lot of ground with Amaral, Kiefer, and Jolich. Yeah. They're all good runners. Uh, they're all very good defenders. Stony Brook, of course, has a premier center fielder yeah. with Jankowski, um, but I don't think they're as strong in the corners as UCLA – uh, could be a factor you're trying to track down balls in these gaps. And I always wonder, too, with UCLA, I mean, like, it's a West Coast team. I know it's not necessarily a Fullerton approach offensively, but Willie Carmona is probably the weakest defender for Stony Brook. The left side of their infield in general can get a little iffy. We saw it last weekend in the Super Regional with their shortstop, I forget his name, airman uh, had a couple throws. Perrigin, Cole Perrigin. Yeah, Perrigin Cole Perrigin, that's right. You know, it was a little unsteady over there. And Carmona, just as, we, just as the coach described to you in the scouting report, he knocks it down, picks it up, and throws it. I think UCLA will test. I think there might be a push blunt here or there. Put a little pressure on Stony Brook. I'm not saying Stony Brook's going to will from the pressure, but just I worry about the left side of their infield defensively. So I, I just don't – I think people need to understand Stony Brook's a great story, but they're more than that. They're a great team. Yeah. They're, they're no fluke. They deserve to be here. Um, and they could win this bracket. They absolutely could win this bracket. Other side of the bracket, Florida State, Arizona – and these are two pretty evenly matched teams, Aaron, in that they're really – the focus is – the majority of the talent for both clubs is on the field, not in the pitcher's mound. They're both offensive clubs, and they both are fairly athletic. It feels like as you're measuring these two teams, the biggest advantage either team has over the other is Florida State's bullpen. is a good deal better, I feel, than Arizona's. I completely agree. And, you know, I think that – Otherwise, trying to break down this matchup is, is a challenge. It really is. Arizona is doggone good. They're doggone good. And uh, I think their style of play will be well-suited for this ballpark. They obviously excel at using the gaps. That's their MO, has been, for, you know, for a long time. But uh, this team especially, all these, these athletic juniors and seniors, well, mostly juniors that they have, um, they're really good at, uh, at, at hitting doubles and triples. And, and this is a doubles and triples kind of a park. Um, you know, if you hit those, if you hit the ball with the gaps here, and the opposing team does not have speed in the outfield, you can get three bases, and right. that's that's 
Arizona's MO. And, and Florida State, I don't think, is, uh, is, is an exceptional team defensively in the outfield. I think James Ramsey's a very good center fielder. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think that they're necessarily, as a unit, an above-average defensive outfield. And that's fair. Uh, their strength is in the infield. Their strength is in the infield. I think they've got the best infield in this field, um, which, which matters a lot in Omaha when you've got experienced guys. And, and Arizona is comparable. They've got uh, all, you know, especially in the left side of the infield, they've got a lot of experience on the left side of the infield. Um, they've got a freshman at, at second base. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I think to me, Kurt Heyer gives Arizona a real chance to, uh, That's pretty sweet, by the way. I'm interrupting the podcast to try to read, to read our uh, to read our preview. If you haven't already downloaded our preview, the PDF is on BaseballAmerica.com, but it's also available in the Apple newsstand. Yeah. And I'm just looking at it on my iPhone, and it's ridiculous to be able to see what you're talking about writ large in our preview on my phone. It's a it's a wonderful college baseball world we live in in 2012. It is wonderful. I think it's uh, there are a lot of exciting ways for fans to follow the game now, and certainly. We try to do our part of Baseball America. but I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I mean, uh, but you're talking about the defensive, kind of the, the difference between these two right. teams a little bit. And also, you know, the, the pitching matchup, I assume, is going to be Kurt Heyer against Brandon Lebrand. Yep. Um, I'll tell you what, John, I keep waiting for those Florida State freshmen to, to kind of hit the wall, as we always say, and th- these guys haven't. I mean, they haven't Lebrand done it, and Compton right. have pitched very well here in the postseason. Um, I don't get the feeling they're limping into Omaha like we've seen other freshmen do in past years. I mean, Danny Holson, you know, kind of yeah. felt like he had, he was out of gas by the time he got to Omaha. And I think Alex White, when he was a freshman, and Matt Harvey, you know, I North agree. Carolina, those guys come to mind. Chris Hernandez, the freshman of the year. I agree. Uh, Miami, those are all ACC guys. It's Not at their best. Fun. Yeah. But uh, but I don't get the sense that Lee Brand and Compton fit that mold. I, in fact, I think Lee Brand has been pitching better than Hire. I mean, Hire gave up some runs against St. John's last week. I know it was 17 hits in nine and a third innings. 17 hits, for God's sake. It was unbelievable. Uh, St. John's was legit, too. I mean, yes, they are. let's give Eddie Blanks and the, and the Johnnies uh, and, that, and that crew some credit, too. I mean, they're almost like they've been overshadowed a little bit by Kent State and Stony Brook and what they did. But, I mean, that was a tough matchup for them. And I think Arizona, to me, Aaron, Arizona has been – the most under-the-radar preseason top-five team. They also had a good regular season because yeah. it feels like their pitching never quite came together, right. and they never really had like, a big run of where they won four or five series in a row against good teams where they really jumped out at you. But they really were a grinded-out team all year. This is, I think this is a really – these are kind of mirror images. I guess I'm almost wondering like, if this game – to me, Florida State has to get Nairs in his bullpen to really feel good about winning that first game. I agree with you. And, and the fact that Hire had that, that kind of a, a workload last week um, and it was that hittable last week, and the fact that Florida State has the advantage in the bullpen yep. is why I lean toward Florida State in this matchup. But I think it's a very, very difficult matchup to pick. I could see either one of those teams. Really, John, I could see any of these four teams winning that bracket. I think it's wide open. I think it is a wide open bracket. I, if I'm seeding those teams just personally – I'm seeding them, and I, I get all your points about Lee Brand Compton, and I agree. I'm still seeding them. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm seeding them UCLA, Arizona, Brooke, FSU. By a, I, think LA, I think UCLA is the best team, not by a lot. I do think there's a little bit of separation. I think they're the most complete team. I think the other three teams, are there's a hair worth of difference. I just i am a little still skittish, I guess, about Florida State starting pitching. And maybe I shouldn't be. But I am a little skittish. I've just seen more out of Stony Brooks and Kurt Heyer to me separates Arizona. Just a, just a hair, but it's by the tiniest of differences. But I think those other three teams, other than UCLA, you can throw them in a hat. I do think UCLA's earned a little bit more uh, credit are, for me than the other teams. They are complete, UCLA. Uh, but, you know, I still have I 
still have the concerns about Scott Griggs in a tight game. Is he going to be able to find the strike zone? Well I, said. I feel a lot better about Robert Benincasa at the end of the game. Absolutely. Um, That's and, a great point. And, you know, Nick Vanderteig pitched the game of his, his life in regionals, and he pitched very well again last week. Um, I think he hasn't been as good as a starter the rest of the year as he was the last two weeks. Can he keep it going? I agree. Big um, point. So, I mean, you know, and, and, and they're number three guy. If you need a number three guy, you might not even need it. Yeah. But uh, the, way, the way the rest is set up now. But, you know, Zach Weiss has been inconsistent. So, I mean, I like UCLA staff. Um, I don't think there is a dominant pitching staff on that side of the bracket. I think all There's four not. of those teams are, are more offensive and defensive teams. Uh, we're, we're just kind of solid pitching. None of them has the blow-you-away kind of arms. There is Dita, who has one of the better names here in Omaha. Is it Steve Dieter? The, uh, Ryan Dieter. Ryan Dieter for, uh, for UCLA. I can't get past the guy's name is Dieter, and I can't get past Griggs pitching so well. His, his strikeout to innings pitch ratio is so ridiculous, and his hits rate is so low. His stuff is filthy. And then, De- and then Berg, just, you know, I love the rubber-armed college middle reliever. So. Uh, but this bracket very even. Um, the other bracket, bracket two, I suppose, Arkansas, Kent State, and the undercard. And no offense to those teams, but they are the undercard. And really, as interesting as the other six teams are, the main event, Aaron, for the opening four games is game four. South Carolina, Florida, on a Saturday night at 8 o'clock local time, 9 o'clock Eastern time. That is going to be epic between last year, a rematch of last year's national championship finals. Let's talk first about Kent State and Arkansas, or as the NCAA t-shirts say, Kentucky State. That's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. I, mean, I think Kent State's earned a little bit more than that over before getting here to Omaha. But you saw Kent State last week in the Super Regional. Um, kind of a classic Super Regional that very few people seem to pay attention to because the games were so late. But Kent State is just a grinded out. They, they played in that Super Regional the way you wrote about them in three strikes. They don't make mistakes. They don't beat themselves. They're experienced. They pitch. And they grind out of bats, and that's basically what they were able to do. Just get one more run than Oregon in a very evenly matched super. You're right, and you know they're they're a bunch of dirt bags, is how Strickland described them. I mean, they don't they don't blow you away again. Out of the three, the four teams on that side of the bracket, Kent State pitches very well. They all do, but Kent State doesn't have the big arms that those other teams have. Although even South Carolina, I suppose, kind of fits that same description. I mean, uh, Matt Price, Matt Price has, has, has a good arm. But I mean, Kent State has guys like Price, I think, right. stuff-wise. Right. Um, Forrest Kumas, I suppose, when he's when he's right. Sure. But, I mean, you know, Starn is kind of like a Michael Roth. Yeah. He's in that same mold. He's a, a senior who's won a, a ton of games. Um, and, you know, he's, he's a bulldog. He'll be 82 to 85. And he's kind of he, a low slot. And he's so so, uh, he's so tested. I mean, he's, he's been through regionals. Now he's been through regional and supers. And I, I imagine he won't be phased by this environment. Right. And... and you know, I love the, the anecdote that, uh, that that Scott Strickland told today in the press conference about how, you know, Starn was a walk-on, and he was in high school. Uh, he was throwing 79, 81 miles an hour and beating people. But So Strickland went to see him, and the only other person there was Akron's coach and his 7-year-old son. And Starn was getting lit up, and, and Strickland turned to the 7-year-old son of, the, of Akron's coach and said, do you like this pitcher? And the kid said, no. <laughs> and Strickland said, I don't either. You know, and now he's the now he's the winningest pitcher in MAC history. So uh, Take that, that's, that's a Cinderella story for you right there. I don't want to hear about Kent State. They're going to be called the Cinderella, John. But I mean, it's like 
Van Horn said today, they've been good for a long time. Absolutely. They've been good for a long time. Even before Strickland got there, this was a good program. Dustin Hermanson, uh, first round pick in 1992. Danny Hall has a thousand career wins. They didn't all come at George Tech. That's right. Started Kent State. Kent State, it's not a comeback. They've been here for years. I mean, this is, that's why I got so fired up on the last podcast. This has been the most consistent program in the Midwest for like 20 years, basically. They've had a little bit of up and down, but I mean, Danny Hall won there and then went to Georgia Tech. Rick Rambelak won there and then got an ACC job. It didn't work out for him at Wake Forest, but it, he had success at Kent State. And now Scott Strickland's went in there, and he's he, next. He's elevated it. There's no question he's elevated it. That's a, that, that needs to be said. Great point. He's taken it to a different level getting here. And But the, the MAC baseball has history, especially pitching history. But like Coach Strickland just said, I mean, the last time a team from the state of Ohio was here in Omaha, it was the great story that Rod Dato, uh, that, that Brent Strom told me about Rod Dato. They're going over the scouting report from, uh, was it Miami, Ohio, or Ohio U? It's I think Ohio it's Ohio U. U. Yep. They're going over the scouting report and that the, the Dodgers gave him. And Rod Dato's like, they've got this third baseman who does this or that or whatever. I think he might have been a shortstop. He does all these things. And Dato read the scouting report about how good the player was and said, well, he can't be this good because if it was this good, he'd be a Trojan. And it was Mike Schmidt. And uh, yeah, that's the last time it took. Uh, that's what it took. The best third baseman of all time to, to bring a, an Ohio team to Omaha. This team is a little more of a grinder team. And now here we have Arkansas, Aaron, that was ranked just behind South Carolina and just ahead of Arizona in our preseason top 25. That's four of our top five teams get here. And the Razorbacks weren't – we can't crown them because they weren't who we thought they were. They never quite broke out offensively. But we did see their pitching depth, the strength of their team, the number one reason they were ranked fourth really writ large – in a one nothing win against Rice, and then a one nothing Super Regional clincher against Baylor. This team pitches its butt off, yes. and they're going to do that again here in Omaha. I think they might have the deepest pitching staff here, and you can include Florida. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree. I'll take Florida staff because I like the top six guys at Florida more than anyone else. And, and if and if Whitson was who we thought he were, he was going to be, I'd take Florida from a depth perspective. But right now he's not, so I think you have to pick just from a depth standpoint when your second round pick. It's throwing 99 miles an hour, 97 like Sandburn, and he's like your sixth guy. Yeah. That tells you how deep you are. But then again, with Florida, I mean, you know, the fact that their unsigned first round pick yeah. has Is lost there's... his job in the starting rotation and they haven't missed a beat because they've got Jonathan Crawford throwing no hitters and throwing that, 95 miles an hour. That does tell you. He's got a bazooka. He's got a bazooka. Yeah, so. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, this Arkansas team is, is a, it's a, like you said, very deep pitching staff. They're going to throw Baxendale in this first game. He's, you know, kind of like a. Right-handed version of Star, a little bit better stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. he's a competitor. He's a bulldog. One of the had a coach say he's one of the most competitive, you know, pitchers in the country. Um, and uh, you know, he's he's going to be ready for this atmosphere certainly. And um, you know, and I their think, bullpen's a weapon. Their bullpen's a real weapon, and really. And that and that is something that I was I have to admit I'm a little concerned about Kent State's bullpen. I wasn't terribly impressed with those guys last week. I know Oregon. You got to give them some credit for battling right. back, but Oregon battled from behind in the ninth Every inning. Game. Uh, of the first game, you know, it almost came back. They had the right. bases loaded. They were down three runs to start that kind inning. Kind of a miracle catch almost yeah. in center field to bail out Kent State. And then in the second game, Oregon came back and, and took the lead. And, you know, Kent State had been s- uh, seven or eight outs, I think, from winning the thing. And, yep. you know, they couldn't hold on. And in the third game, Oregon came from behind. So, I mean, I think, you know, Kent State doesn't have the shutdown guy at the back. Um, you know, they've got... They've got some solid pieces. Who's the they, lefty again back there? Clark? Ryan Clark. they got two lefties named Clark, but they're, okay. um, you know, and they've used them both. But, uh, you well, know, that's confusing. It is. It's confusing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, those are solid pieces. But, I mean, 
they don't have a Jimmy Scherfe like Oregon has. Uh, they don't have a, uh, a Barrett Aston like, yeah. like, like Arkansas has. They don't uh, have so an Owen Sandberg. If they had Owen Sandberg, uh, they don't have... Uh, who's a sinker ball? Suggs. Suggs. I mean, well, Suggs is like a like another like a clone of Sandberg. Or Moore. Moore. Brandon Moore's a sinker baller. Cade Lynch. I mean, all these guys that Arkansas has. I think that's that's a separate. Randall Fant. I love the names on Arkansas's pitching staff as well. Yeah. There's some good names there, but uh, I still think that, that those two teams are the undercard. Um, Florida, South Carolina. I mean, we talked about these two teams last year. Clearly, a lot of faces have changed for both teams. A lot of circumstances have changed for both teams, but they're both here. It's almost disappointing that it's one versus eight, but I kind of like having that game to cap the first round of games. It's going to be Roth. It's going to be Hudson. It's going to be I mean, Hudson Randall. It's going to be... Uh, no, it's going to be Brian Johnson. It's going to be Brian Johnson. That's what Sully announced today. Brian Johnson will start the opener. I'm sorry I missed that. First of all, because the press conference, Sully looked sharp. He did look sharp. Second of all, I mean, the guy's got the best tan in college baseball. Second of all... Because I missed that tidbit. So, did he, what was his reasoning for Brian Johnson, and what do you think of that choice of Brian Johnson over Ginger Mullet Man Hudson Randall himself? He didn't get into it, but I think it's a matter of the matchups. I think Brian Johnson has pitched very well against South Carolina. Um, I think the last time they, they faced each other, I believe Johnson threw that game and threw pretty well. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, he's just he's pitched very well down the stretch. I mean, so was Randall, I think. Yeah. But uh, he was. A, I mean, Brian Johnson, seeing him in the SEC tournament. That was the best I've ever seen him. Yeah. He was sitting 89-92. The secondary stuff was all crisp. It almost felt like, Aaron, that Florida is just kind of the way you talked about them all year. Not that they didn't take the regular season seriously enough, but that they weren't putting too much pressure on themselves in right. the regular season. And now the postseason's gotten here. They have turned things up a notch. Right, exactly. And, and- that game Johnson threw in the SEC tournament was against South Carolina. He went the distance through a complete game without just two runs. So, I mean, I think uh, that gave Sully confidence. And, you know, look, if you, if you go back and read our, our Super Regional scouting report, you know, the coach who broke down Florida. He did. He said that if he had to win one game, Brian, Johnson. Brian Johnson's the guy he wants. And that just shows you the respect that people have for Johnson because you know they've got a lot of respect for Randall. Yeah, Red Sox fans uh, should be excited about that guy being their second of their first-round picks. I think he was 31st overall. And I, I, know that, I know that my scouting report on him during the spring, everyone was like, you know, it's four pitches. They're all fringe average. You're kind of hoping the body firms up a little bit when he gets to the pro ball and he gives up hitting. But, nah, he's turned it up a notch. And that's exciting for Florida. But to me, Aaron, this is a legacy series for those Florida juniors. Yeah. This is a, a group that came in with a lot of hype. For a college recruiting class, you know, it, it, let's put it in perspective. It is college baseball. I mean, we give it hype, yeah. but for, for so for our world, for our environment, they had a lot of hype. They got the Omaha's freshmen. They got the Omaha's sophomores lost in the title series. This is their chance to really put to put themselves in college baseball history as one of the great junior classes in history. When you consider the depth of the SEC, I mean, I think the, the guys at South Carolina have already done that in the last couple of years, but. If they can go through South Carolina to win a national championship, that's pretty much a legacy that will never that's, go away. If you're it. if you're Nolan Fontana, you're Brian Johnson, you're Hudson Randall, and those guys. I agree. Mike Zanino, obviously. I think if they win the championship, they they go down as one of the great classes ever. You know, and, and they already are, you know, an incredibly accomplished class. I mean, yeah, I know that they that's the with, word. They came in with with expectations. They have to win a national championship to fulfill those expectations. It's just the reality of it. It's you know, I'm not saying it's fair. But uh, it is the reality. But it is the reality. I mean, you know, and it's like, hey, Tom Brady's won three Super Bowls, right, John? Oh, yeah. 
He's lost twice the Super Bowl. He had a chance to go down as the greatest ever if he finishes that 19-0 and season. Yes. Um, this is Florida. Aaron's not bitter. <laughs> Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Real quick, Aaron. Uh, South Carolina's mojo. How do you describe that? How? I mean, I think we've we've all seen how it's been built. We've seen it in regionals and super regionals in Omaha. How does it get passed down to those freshmen? Because it seems like the pancakes and the new guys, like a Dantzler and some of the newer guys, have picked up some of that mojo that I thought. Might have left the building with Jackie Bradley Jr. or with John Taylor or some of the past greats who've left here. I mean, how much of that can be passed down and how much of those, those guys? I, I'm just wondering, how do they maintain that mojo through three years now? Uh, it's just amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, they did it last year when you know, they had to replace Bobby Haney at shortstop. They bring in Peter Mooney. He's got the mojo. Mooney. Uh, and now, you know, I think Joey Pancake, watching him play down the stretch, he's made some, some pretty incredible plays, yeah. big league plays. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be really good. And, and they were, they were, we weren't alone. We were wondering coming into the year, um, you know, how he was going to handle that job. As a freshman shortstop. Yeah, that's a big responsibility. A big responsibility. And, you know, even South Carolina's coaches weren't sure coming into the year that he was going to win that job. Um, and, and other coaches that played them early on were wondering if this guy can do it all year long. Right. And he, he has done it, you know. and But that said, if we're trying to break, you know, find differences between South Carolina and Florida – fact is you do have a freshman shortstop for one team and you've got Nolan Fontana on the other team and Nolan Fontana is the most reliable shortstop in college baseball for the last three years yeah. I mean, he hasn't just been that this year he's been that for three years in a row and uh that's a guy that, made what three errors as a freshman yeah you, you know I mean that's it feels like South Carolina's infield defense is not as quite up to Florida's level but the other difference is that South Carolina's outfield defense feels quite superior I to agree. the Gators and outfield defense has kind of been an issue for the Gators all year they had the injury to Thompson that kind of shuffled their deck, and obviously they had time to react to that. How do you feel they've, they've have they remedied that? Are they decent out there? Because it's like South Carolina's above average. Yes, you're right, and that's a, that is a separator for South Carolina. I mean, Evan Marzilli is fantastic out there. Obviously, Tanner English can fly, cover a lot of ground, um, you know, and, and and Adam Matthews in right field. I mean, you got three really good athletes. Um, in Florida, you know, I think Jonathan Daniel Piggott, I always call him Jonathan. It's, it's acceptable. Daniel Piggott is, is uh, a solid center fielder. You know, good college but player. He's, he's a good college player, he's, but he's not Evan Marzilli. He's right. just not. doesn't have that kind of range. I think Schaefer in left field is, is solid. And, and you know what? Preston Tucker has is, is come a long way in right field. He he's, deserves a lot of credit for the last couple of years. That guy yeah. was an established SEC star as a first baseman. who sublimated his ego a little bit, moved out to right field for the betterment of the team, and that did not help his draft status. His, his lack of athleticism got a little exposed in right field. And what he's done is just take a, take one for the team, and he's become a better right fielder. And he used to, I think, you know, talking to scouts, I think they thought that he used to embarrass himself. He was not, he, he doesn't embarrass himself out there. Yeah. He's capable. He's competent. He made a great diving catch in the Super Regional against NC State. I don't know if you saw I it. I missed it, no. He, he got a great first step, and he had to cover some ground, and he laid out, and it, it, that was athletic. I think he deserve, I think he just deserves a lot of credit for, for taking that and wearing that for the team, and uh, that's what leaders do. And that's what, you know, he doesn't get the acclaim maybe that a James Ramsey does as a senior and a leader, and we talk so much about the Florida junior class, but Preston Tucker, who's been a cheese ball of yours for several years, I think he deserves a little credit, and I, I'm, I'm giving it to him right here, so... Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron, who's your who's your pick on that bracket? Have we picked? Did you did we make a pick on the other bracket? I, don't I think picked, we did. I picked UCLA on the other bracket. I'm picking the Bruins. You know, I'm taking Florida State. That's right. Upside City. That's right. I'm taking Florida State. I think that uh, 
they're lying in the weeds a little bit. I get that feeling. People aren't talking as much about Florida State. Can I agree they're not. Thing. They just killed Stanford. They did. Just, they just dismantled a, a talented team and humiliated them, frankly. And, and I think this Florida State team has a lot of pride, and I love the infield. I think that's such a separator. Um, and, and I think the bullpen, to me, stands out on that side of the bracket. I really like their bullpen. That's a great point. Compared to the bracket, in that context, it really I mean, it's good anyway. Yep. It really stands out on that bra- on that side of the bracket. And I'll tell you what, uh, I talked to James Ramsey about this pregame. This Florida State team, they kind of feel like they're almost on a mission and I, to, to get Mike Martin that championship. I know other Florida State teams have been like that, but Ramsey's almost a little different. You know, he's a different, he's a different animal. And I, I'm a North Carolina alum, and I'm always going to liken this to 1982, Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, getting that monkey off Dean Smith's back. And some Florida State team is going to do that for Mike Martin, and that team will always be – those guys will never buy beers again in Tallahassee. Those guys will always be remembered as the team that got the monkey off, off Mike Martin's back. And I think James Ramsey has that chip on his shoulder. We're going to see some three nines down to first base from James Ramsey this week. We're going to see some emotion. We're going to see some passion. I'm starting to talk myself into your pick. I'm still picking the Bruins, but I like your pick. I put the Bruins. I mean, I put the Seminoles four, but I, I, I can see it. I, I can see James Ramsey and that infield uh, carrying uh, Florida State. It would be emotional it would to see be, eleven would be. get a get a championship. And I think the championship series between Florida and Florida State is going to be emotional. That would be crazy, Aaron. So you're picking the Gators. I'm also picking the Gators, even though. I don't think like anyone should ever pick against the Gamecocks in Omaha until somebody beats them. But I also feel like Florida is exactly the wrong team for Michael Roth to face here again. Because even though he's beaten them here, I don't think his magician and his mojo can work but so many times against that same group of players. I feel like Florida's got a shot. They're the team to take him out, basically, here in Omaha. So we'll Surely, see. if anyone has figured out a way you know, that you have to approach Michael Roth... We know that they know the way not to approach him by right. now. Right. You know, so um, I agree with you. I think they'll make the adjustments, and um, you know, I you know I have the enormous respect for Michael Roth. Absolutely. And if he comes out here and throws a two-hit complete game shutout, no one will shot to shrug our shoulders and say that's Michael Roth. We're all going to party like a Roth star is what we're going to do <laughs> if that happens. So uh, none of us would be surprised, but you do have to look at the talent on the field and the coaching and all of those things, and evaluate it all and. I think Florida's inescapable uh, to, when you rank them, when you stack them They're up. They're the most complete team. I, they I, have the best offense in this field, I think. I do think so. I think they probably have as good an infield defense as any team, even with Arizona and Florida State. I'm a little skeptical of their outfield defense, but their bullpen. Even though Austin Maddox hasn't been at his best, Paco. You know I love Paco Rodriguez, despite right. his stupid wind-up. You know, and, and, and the depth that they've got. I mean, heck, guess who got the last out of that Super Regional? Yeah, Keenan Kish. Unreal. Unreal depth. That's not the way they, they plotted it out, but they have the depth to do it. He was a top 200 guy at a high school. I know he was. He's got pedigree. They still got Booby Gibson back there hanging out waiting. Right. Uh, I don't think anyone remembers who Booby Gibson was anymore, but Daniel Gibson, the left-hander, they have incredible depth. Uh, Florida's my pick. I rank them Florida, South Carolina, Arkansas, Kent State. I'm, I'm not going to rank them. I'm just going to pick the right. Gators on that side. But I, I, that works. But I agree with you. Uh, I would say Florida, South Carolina, Arkansas. And Kent State. I mean, and I, I like Kent State's team. I like the way the, the, the moxie that they have, but um, I think their talent ranks behind those other teams. Last week, I thought their talent was comparable to Oregon. You maybe could even give Kent State the edge hmm. in talent last week against Oregon. This week, I don't think that's the case. I agree. It should be a great college series. We'll probably do one more podcast before I leave because I like to talk, but we'll let the, the, the website and the blog and the Twitter. 
do the talking for likely the rest of the weekend. But sit back and enjoy it. It's wonderful to have college baseball be kind of front and center this week of the Cobbles here. He's finally, for those of you who listen to the podcast, it feels like college baseball has probably been front and center for you for a long time. So we appreciate all the downloads all year, all the interest. It's been uh, it's been a great year. It's been a lot of fun. And this Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC, win every practice. For Aaron, I'm John. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.